Physician assistants are moving out of primary care medicine and into the OR. The best instrument a surgeon has, the surgical physician assistant. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Lisa DeAndre, your host, and with me today is Bob Blum. Bob has been a practicing surgical physician assistant for 38 years and is the current president of the Association of Plastic Surgery Physician Assistants. Bob received the first AAPA Paragon Award for the Physician PA team, and he is a recipient of the John W. Kirkland Award for Excellence in Surgery. Bob serves as an administrator, clinician, and a role model for the entire PA profession. Today we are discussing surgical physician assistants employed by hospitals. Hi, Bob. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you. Bob, what is the difference between a PA and a surgical PA? Well, the difference between the generic PA and the surgical PA is that the surgical PA has additional education or training specific to the specialty in which they're going. However, in general, one is never to forget that all physician assistants, regardless of their specialty rating, are primary care physician assistants. And what are the responsibilities of a surgical PA employed by a hospital? The responsibilities are manyfold in the fact that they may be utilized within the hospital situation, in a clinic situation, in the pre-admission testing portion of the hospital so that the same people who will be in surgery and following the patients on the floors will have done the preoperative examinations. They give some preoperative instructions and make sure that there's a total understanding. They make sure that all of the consultations have been acquired or if they feel that someone needs to be seen by a cardiologist or a pulmonologist, that they'll indicate that and they'll initiate that from their place in the pre-admission process. They're also involved intraoperatively. We try to utilize the same physician assistants that do the preoperative work in the operating room. So they have either pre-existing surgical training or have gone to a surgical residency program or have learned on the job, but they're in the operating room serving as the first assistant in surgery. The first assistant in surgery is the assistant surgeon, and they're qualified, depending on their specialty area, to be doing something as simple as hernia repairs to as complex as cardiothoracic surgery. After that, they go to the recovery room. They'll go to PACU and write post-operative orders, examine the patient, re-examine the patient, and then follow them on the surgical floors. They'll be responsible to the physician and to the nursing team to respond to any potential problems, any complications, or any questions relating to the surgery itself. If the patient is in need of going to a critical care unit, such as a uh, SICU, it is the physician assistant who will also be a part of that particular scenario and will undergo the specialty area of critical care medicine. Surgical PAs receive training in all of these areas as a component of their didactic and their clinical training, but the remainder of that knowledge is usually received from a residency program or on-the-job training. Do hospitals require surgical PAs to complete a surgical residency prior to employment? No, they don't, and I'm very grateful that they don't because when you look at the number of surgical training programs out there, there are not enough at the present moment to ever meet the demand that exists today. In the surgical residency programs at the present moment, we have exactly 12 of them. And these residency programs may take as few as two or three residents or as many as Montefiore will take 12 or 15, 
but that's the maximum. So it would take approximately 50 years to get the right number out there. So this is an ideal situation because of the knowledge of critical care medicine that these people receive, but there are very few that have indeed taken that residency program. Let's talk about credentialing. Do PAs need to be credentialed in the same process as a physician? Absolutely. In every manner, they're looking at their background, they're looking at their education, they're listening very carefully to the responses, such as if you're in an operation at 2 o'clock in the morning and your surgeon happens to have a heart attack, what would you do? And that's one of the frequent questions, and they don't want to hear the answer that you would complete the entire operation. They want to hear that you'll put a lap pad in, make sure all bleeding is stopped, and that you're waiting for another physician to come in. And what about professional liability insurance? Does a surgical PA in a hospital setting need their own insurance? The surgical PA in a hospital setting is already covered by the hospital in terms of their malpractice insurance, but it is of the utmost importance, I think, and many of my colleagues who have been around for a while would think to get their own professional liability insurance. When it comes down to the litigation a person may have, and I've been practicing for 38 years and have not had one, but that's only a little bit of luck, I think, along with some skill. But should this happen, when you have a personal liability insurance, you will know that there will be an attorney and a group that will be working 100% for you rather than for the hospital or the physician. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Lisa DeAndre, and I'm speaking with Bob Blum, president of the Association of Plastic Surgery Physician Assistants. We are discussing surgical physician assistants employed by hospitals. Bob, since restricting surgical resident work hours, have surgical PAs met the responsibility imposed upon them from the healthcare system in regard to the mandatory 80-hour work week for residents? Yes, they have. In my last year or two as chairman of the Surgical Congress of the AAPA, I was at every American College of Surgeons meeting, and there's a specific group dealing with non-physician providers in the College of Surgeons. And this became a great concern of theirs because the 80-hour work week would require that surgeons could not be taking care of some of the problems on the floors or could not be in the operating room at all times. And so the physician assistant was considered the next most qualified person to do that job. And that's how we have been utilized. We've been filling in in the operating rooms more so than we did before in the critical care units on the floors. And it has helped tremendously to alleviate the problem relating to residents being overworked. The other group of people that have been doing this, in particular in cardiothoracic surgery, would be nurse practitioners who have the same scope of practice as physician assistants. Let's talk about billing. Are medical services provided by a surgical PA reimbursable at the supervising physician rate? And can a hospital bill for first assist services provided by a PA? It all depends on how things are set up. You can have bundled billing where all of the fees relating to a procedure are universally paid to the surgeon and the hospital will get their share. But that doesn't happen with every insurance company. Medicare is more than happy to pay 85% of the physician's fee to the PA or to the company that has in fact hired the PA. Many individual insurers will pay 13.5%. And if a person is out of network, that fee can be increased well beyond that. But there is reimbursement, and there is a separate reimbursement in most cases. Can surgical PAs function in more than one specialty at the same time? Yes, they can. I have 
started three separate businesses in my career where I joined with other physician assistants. We would have seven, eight, nine, or ten in a group. We would cover four or five hospitals, and we would do call, weekend call. We started out doing weekend call Friday through Monday morning, and in that particular role, we were able to cover everything from general surgery to orthopedics to thoracic, vascular surgery, or whatever. When we are credentialed in a hospital, we're credentialed according to our knowledge in surgery, and if we ask for privileges and can provide information that shows that we've had experience in that particular area, then our request for privileges will be granted by the chairman of that subspecialty department and then will be countersigned and finally approved by the chairman of the Department of Surgery. So, in fact, we can do seven different specialties simultaneously. Are PAs members of the American College of Surgeons? Yes, I have in the past been a liaison to the American College of Surgeons for the AAPA for five years. And in my last year, I was able to convince the leadership of the College of Surgeons that it would be to their best interest to allow what they called at that point non-physician providers to have an affiliate membership in the College of Surgeons. So at the present moment, there is an affiliate membership that does not cost us much in way of money. It allows us to have the same access to the American College of Surgeons site, and it allows us to attend the American College of Surgeons conference yearly free. So when a hospital is considering hiring a new PA graduate, what should the expectations of the hospital and the surgeons consist of? I think that's a very good question. One of the things that I do is I am an adjunct instructor for surgery and emergency medicine for Hofstra University. And so we produce 30 or 40 PAs every year. If a hospital is going to hire a new graduate, they need to be aware that our graduates are no different than anyone else's. They all have a basic knowledge or basic fount of knowledge based on the PA program. They assume the responsibility to enhance that knowledge through their own in-hospital continuing medical education and by doing many mentoring situations within specialty areas so that the PA learns to develop a increased knowledge of that specialty area. I have had some of my PAs graduate and go into a cardiothoracic program, do flex shifts of 12 hours, work 48 hours a week and start with a salary of $90,000. So it really is very important that they get that education and the hospitals are more than willing to teach them. How does the hospital benefit by hiring a surgical PA? The hospital benefits in that the general surgeon, as well as other specialty areas, are severely overworked. They need to know that the person who's assisting in the operating room has the ability also, when they're not operating, to go downstairs to the floors and to re-examine the patients to prevent problems from happening. We'd want to learn not only how to respond to emergency events, but how to prevent them from happening. And that's the safety net that has been placed into the hospital scenario by hiring their own surgical PAs. They will follow them. They know them preoperatively because they've examined them preoperatively. They have developed a relationship with them, and they will be the same individuals who can discharge them so that the surgeon does not have to come into the hospital and give them the prescriptions and the information necessary for follow-up in the private office practice. And where can we get more information about surgical PAs? The greatest fount of information will come from the AAPA website, and then you can go to the 
AASPA.org, which is the American Association of Surgical Physician Assistants, and that is the major group responsible for most of the information relating to all PAs. And then there are many references. I was the author of an article in the Bulletin of the American College of Surgeons on Surgical Physician Assistance Help Solve Contemporary Problems. That came out in June of 2003. And when you go to these specialty areas, such as the College of Surgeons, you might find articles like this, which will teach a surgery department how to incorporate PAs into the hospital. Thank you, Bob, for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm Lisa DeAndre, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thanks for listening.